This episode is sponsored by Free Market Kids. Hi everyone, welcome to Orange Hatter. Today you're listening to part two of my conversation with Lindsay. And I guess the the economic principle at play here is like it must be it must be worth it to me, or else I would go and choose something else. You know, ultimately I am I am choosing this trade off, but it's still really painful just you know to be to be doing the same work and being paid so much less for it. So. I think that relates to inflation because, you know, it's like our, our dollars are worth less tomorrow than they're worth today. And you've talked about this on your podcast, just how that incentivizes my generation and younger generations to just spend in much different ways than older generations. And I related to that so much when I listened to that podcast interview of yours, just to what it feels like to have like hope for my financial future in this particular landscape um, with the particular earning potential that I have at my, my day job, this job that I'm trained to do versus just being able to invest and see like return on investment. I think inflation is that that topic that is so expected and so ingrained in our everyday experience that we almost stop questioning it at some point. It's just like you just know that things are going to get more expensive and yet your income just got cut by a half in exchange for a better lifestyle. And the question I ask myself is why the choices are so skewed in a way I just came back from visiting family in a part of the country where the average household income is $600,000. And I'm driving through the streets and I'm looking at the houses and I'm thinking to myself, why is, why is the difference so huge? I, and then I, I interact with those people and I, I interact with people locally, right? I'm I'm living in Kentucky and I don't feel like one is working so much harder than the other. Or I guess if you if you talk about the value of your work, that's that's a whole nother, you know, discussion. But the the ease of dealing with inflation is just not it's just night and day. Because for for a household that is making that much money, when the gas prices go up, when the you know, the food prices go up, it, it's neither here nor there for them. It's just pocket change. They don't get hit as hard. Yeah. By right. But for you, you're exchanging literally your labor, your, your life essence, which is your time, right? What is life? Life is your time. You're exchanging your time for money and to see it give you less and less back is really difficult. So let's talk a little bit about the root cause of that because, and maybe make a comparison between us looking at questioning what's going on in the financial system and what is going on in the healthcare system. Draw some parallels based on your experience with nursing. So one thing about me as a nurse and just as a person, I'm really interested in figuring out root causes. I've been told that I should have become an engineer (laughs) and I take that as a compliment. My grandfather was an engineer and I, I appreciate just, you know, being told that it seems like I have a problem solving mind. I think I do. 
So yeah, I'm, I just like to get more underneath, like why, why is this illness happening? Why is this symptom happening? And I don't want to just treat the symptom or just sort of eliminate the problem through means that are not really addressing what's underneath it. And I think that that parallels some of the decisions by our government, the Federal Reserve, just the powers that be in that, in in our system, you know, the taxation in general is like a whole topic that we could spend lots of time on. But, you know, the stimulus payments during COVID and student loan forgiveness, like all of the things we are in these economic, it's like a crisis for people inflation, which we've already talked about, but like the root cause of why all these things are happening is because the money is broken. And I'm not the first person to say that. And I probably can't explain it (laughs) the best, but our, our money is, it's an unlimited supply. It just gets printed. It's completely centralized and it's just very susceptible to inflation and as you were saying, it's like, there's a class of people who benefit from inflation. And there's a class of people who just get absolutely financially destroyed by it. Yeah. And based on your experience working in healthcare, what is it like in the established uh, system today in healthcare? Well, so I have my experience in the NICU and I have my experience in the ER. And both of those places are are areas of Western medicine where I feel like, like, yes, we really need to be doing things, these aggressive interventions that we're doing, like intubation, you know, patients being on a ventilator, using IV nutrition and medications to keep somebody's heart beating. Like these are all things that I think are really important. But one thing that kind of surprised me about the ER. I guess I was naive going into that experience, but how much of it was not emergency medicine. I worked in a really busy ER in Nashville, kind of on the outskirts of town, but in a very diverse part of town, we had gunshot victims and drug overdoses and, you know, people who had just gone into cardiac arrest in the community. And those people would come by ambulance and we would all swarm them and, you know, save their lives. And then like 75% of the rest of the ER was people who were there for like primary care or urgent care. So a lot of that ended up just being like symptom management. People would come in feeling nauseous and we'd give them nausea medicine and send them on their way. And while I do think, you know, those types of patients don't need to be crowding emergency room. We also, it's just not at all concerned with like addressing people's like lifestyles that contribute to whatever symptom or illness they may be experiencing. And I do think, I think that that's like on us as individuals to get curious about our own health. And like, you know, I'm not trying to say that any of those patients who came to the ER with nausea were, were in the wrong necessarily, but I think that you know, they will, they may or may not get a bill for that, just depending on, you know, what their situation is and, you know, insurance or 10 care or whatever it is, but they have to want to 
figure out how to best care for their own bodies. And I don't think that our system really encourages people to do that. I think it comes down to education for sure, right? Because if we draw a parallel back to the monetary system, it's your health. So get educated so that you can be empowered to keep your health. And it's the same thing with the monetary system. If you get educated, you are empowering yourself to take care of your financial future. I think that it's really easy to sit back and be told the right path to take, but that right path may not be the right path for you. It's just a sort of generalized, pretty picture, right path. You know, like I, I have mentioned in, in other interviews, Scott and I follow the right path and the right path works for a lot of people, but it certainly doesn't work for everyone. And I wish that I had known better to look at alternatives or even to question the right path, but I, I didn't take charge. I assumed, I kind of sat back and I, I was comfortable and I assumed that what I was told was the the only best path. I have a friend who describes that as like outsourcing your your knowledge about a particular topic. And I think that that's how a lot of people approach their own healthcare. Just, you know, I'm not an expert on this. I'm going to trust my doctor and I'm going to stay healthy that way. And I think maybe there was a time in history where the system was set up to where that was that was a decent way to go about managing your health, but I don't think that's the, the age that we're living in. I think if, if you do decide to outsource your, you know, your own health to those experts, you are going to be getting a one size fits all approach back and one size does not fit all. So the way that I have navigated this system for myself is just by by educating myself and learning about you know how to best care for my body so not that I do that perfectly um but just really like being our own advocates I think we do have to do that it's unfortunate that the media and you know the powers that be you know CDC and places like that really, really silence people who question. So that's, that's been disappointing to me in COVID times and after because science is meant to be tested and the best science is science that's repeatable, but that isn't, that isn't really allowed to be talked about these days. Let's talk more about the hope that Bitcoin provides. So you mentioned that when you go to Bitcoin Park and you listen to the panel discussions, what you sense is this general collective sense of hope and kind of looking forward to the future because we talk so much about leveling the playing field. Can you give our listeners maybe just a general description of what the Bitcoiners put their hope in and what that future looks like? Yeah, so I think the source of hope that I pick up on at those Bitcoin meetups. It's just the hope of sound money, money that has a fixed supply that is decentralized, 
that allows people to take personal custody of their wealth, especially as we've seen people relying on the, you know, current financial system, banks just have their, their assets completely frozen and just inaccessible. That's a real thing that can happen. And I don't think a lot of people have realized that it could happen to them and that having our own sound money really protects our freedom as individuals to express ourselves authentically, to live at peace with other people. So I think that it, it, I mean, it really does come down for me to the inflation piece because I, I am not motivated to save money when that money is going to be worth way less in the future than it is now. And I've, I've always struggled to save money. I, I love, you know, if I've ever kind of come into like a bonus or, you know, I've worked a contract that was really high paying and could, could bank a a bunch all at once. I've, I've generally been excited to spend that money on like a home improvement or, you know, something like that, rather than just putting it in the bank or putting it in the stock market. So I, I'm not the best person to speak about saving money, but I had a revelation kind of recently about why I don't save and why I don't just why thinking about saving money just makes me feel like really depressed in life. Like, yeah, I I realized that like saving money is for people who have hope about the future. (laughs) Um, and it, it just really all clicked for me where I was like, wow, this is like really confronting because I'm like, you know, confronted with my own kind of just hopelessness in life. You know, a lot of things in my life have not turned out like I wanted them to. And so just dealing on a daily basis with like having hope for the future has been a struggle for me. But yeah, particularly when it comes to money, because when we think about the future, what like what that future looks like is really dependent on our ability to, you know, provide the necessities of life for ourselves. So it's, it feels kind of like weird to put so much hope in a money, but we're all doing that in one way or another. If we, if we're not honest with ourselves that like money is really important for our futures, you know, that it's just, we deceive ourselves. Thanks for joining us today and learning with us today. If the discussion with our guests resonated with you and you would like to dive deeper into the world of Bitcoin, don't miss out on joining the Orange Hatter Women's Reading Club. The meetup link is in the show notes. Also, if there are women in your life whom you think would both enjoy and benefit from learning more about Bitcoin, please share Orange Hatter with them. Until next time, bye!